John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome one and all to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Once again, it was an insane day for America because it was a regular day for Donald Trump. (laughs) He had not one, but two criminal trials today. One in New York, one in Georgia at the exact same time. (laughs) The only way to follow all the action was to have multiple TVs. That's why I watched all the proceedings today at a Buffalo Wild Wings. (laughs) I had the hot habeas jalapeno poppers. (laughs) Then is this just tomorrow? Tomorrow... Judge Angoran is expected to issue a verdict in Trump's $370 million civil fraud trial. And I'll tell you right now, whatever he rules, I believe the verdict is unfair to me. Because <laughs> I don't have a show tomorrow. And justice delayed is punchlines denied. <laughs> those, those, three, those three are just today and tomorrow. He's also facing the January 6th trial in Washington, D.C., the classified documents case in Florida, Colorado trying to throw him off the ballot for insurrection, and his appeal in the verdict of the E. Jean Carroll defamation case in which a jury has already found that Trump committed sexual assault. And yet, despite all this, people want to hire this maniac to be president. Come on. And in light of all that, in light of all that, I'd like to make a brief public service announcement. This is up. <laughs> Look. Look, I know, I know how numb we've become, but it's not normal. No other candidate for the presidency has ever had to pause his campaign to defend himself in multiple courts. And I would like to point out that in all seven of his cases, no one, no one doubts that he did these things. We're just sitting around patiently waiting to find out if the wheels of justice will grind fast enough for there to be any consequences. And the media is covering it like it's any other political story, like it's all horse race. But in this horse race, one of the horses is old. (laughs) Well, one of the horses is old, has hoof-and-mouth disease, and keeps quoting horse Hitler. (laughs) Now, at least send him to the glue factory. (laughs) At least in one case, things are not looking good for Trump. This morning, he was here in New York, where he is facing 34 counts of falsification of business records over the hush money payment to porn star Stormy Daniels. Trump's lawyers... We're doing their best to delay this case, but the judge was not having it. He announced the trial would be moving forward two minutes after the hearing got underway. Which two minutes, okay? Which is twice as long as Trump lasted with Stormy. <laughs> now, so she says. Shiitake. Now, the trial, the trial begins March 25th, And in this historic case, the former president will be represented by Trump attorney and most expensive dish on the cannibal restaurant menu, (laughs) Todd Blanche. (laughs) Todd Blanche tried in vain to argue that the case was a discombobulated package of politically motivated charges. Coincidentally, according to Stormy, Trump also has a discombobulated package. But Judge uh, Juan Merchan wasn't buying it and got frustrated with Blanche's bombastic court style. The judge snapped, stop interrupting me, please, and Mr. Blanche, please have a seat. 
Trump's lawyers are acting out so much at this point the judges have to come to court with a spray bottle. No! No, Mr. Blanche! <laughs> Not on the table! Not down! 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 Bad lawyer! So this was not a great day for Donald Trump, but he told reporters, this isn't just about him. It's a sad thing. It's a sad day for New York. Is it, though? <laughs> I got a room full of New Yorkers right here. Let me check. How do you feel about uh, Trump facing criminal justice? They hide their grief well. <laughs> the case Trump did not attend was down in Atlanta, where the former president is charged with attempting to overturn the 2020 Georgia election. But today's hearing was about whether to disqualify the prosecutor, which could delay the case for months. The prosecutor in question is Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, seen here realizing that YouTube won't let her skip this ad for Verbo. <laughs> At issue is Willis's romantic relationship with a member of her team, Special prosecutor and alluring stranger on days of our lives. <laughs> Nathan Wade. Both Willis and Wade have acknowledged the relationship. Okay, it's gonna be strange for Donald Trump to be involved in legal proceedings that center around a consensual relationship. <laughs> Wait a minute, you were both into it? How does that work? <laughs> Do you sign the NDA at the same time? I don't. Just tell me who pays who. That's what I wanna know. <laughs> but the lawyers for one of Trump's. See, they love me. They love me here. <laughs> but the lawyers for one of Trump's co-defendants allege that the two were romantically involved when Willis hired Wade in 2021 to manage the investigation. Of course, tales of courtroom lust are nothing new. We all remember the classic film, 12 Horny Men. <laughs> now, if they were already dating, the defendant's lawyers say Willis is guilty of conflicts of interest claiming that Willis paid Wade more than $650,000 for his work and then profited personally when he used that money to take her on expensive vacations, including cruises in the Bahamas. Profited personally, I think, is a generous description of taking a cruise. Honey, would you like to spend a week on a floating norovirus Petri dish where all the children have peed in the pool? Before you answer, there's a magician. Now... Willis and Wade say they started their relationship after he was hired, and they argue that even if the allegations about their relationships were true, they wouldn't warrant disqualification from the Trump case. Well, yeah, their personal lives don't have anything to do with the facts of the case. It has been established that lawyers are allowed to have sex in the legal precedent of suits. <laughs> now, I got something. I got something. I got one thing. But today in court, one of Willis's former colleagues uh, said uh, in testimony that the relationship began right after the two met in 2019, an allegation that Willis disputed today vehemently. When I met him, Judge Reeves introduced us. He handed me his business card. I'm unsure if I handed him my business card, but we exchanged information. He said, if you ever need any help, give me a call. And he walked to the parking lot. 
Um, so after after that, you started dating shortly thereafter, correct? A lie. That's one of your lies. Now, I don't know who's telling the truth here yet, but I will say exchanging business cards isn't exactly a meet-cute. <laughs> the movie's not called When Harry Networked with Sally. <laughs> now, at one point, Willis had had enough and really laid into the opposing counsel. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. Damn straight. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Here's the thing. Yes, it's true. Donald Trump and his associates are on trial in this, one of the most important cases in the history of our republic. So, and I've just got one follow-up question here. Given that if you are removed from the prosecution, it could delay this trial until after the election, how good was this sex? (laughs) Good enough to risk democracy over? Because I've never had sex that good. (laughs) You you know know what really feels good? Donald Trump going to prison. That, my friends, is what they call the real happy ending. <laughs> now, Trump, Trump keeps mixing up people in his speeches, like saying, you know, Obama was who he ran against when he meant Biden, and, and Nikki Haley was in control of the Capitol when he meant Nancy Pelosi, and this makes a lot of people question his mental competency. So last night, in a rally down in South Carolina, he offensively went on the defensive. When I say that Obama is the president of our country, blah, blah, blah. They go, he doesn't know that's Biden. He doesn't know. So it's very hard to be sarcastic. When I interpose, because I'm not a Nikki fan and I'm not a Pelosi fan, and when I purposely interpose names, they said he didn't know Pelosi from Nikki, from Tricky Nikki, Tricky Nikki. What's happening? Is he just doing stream of consciousness slam poetry? <laughs> tricky Nicky, tricky dicky, slicky licky, sticky wicky, fuzzy wuzzy, woolly willy, free willy, whale. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> then, then, he, then he went on and claimed that Biden's presidency has been hurting us on the world stage. Perhaps most importantly, we are a nation that is no longer admired, respected, or listened to on the world stage. Yes, we are no longer respected. <laughs> reminds me of that Aretha Franklin song. We got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, Billy Joel. Late Show Pond Show listeners can get 20% off on all Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise on ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show shirts, mugs, accessories, and more with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com. Ladies and gentlemen, oh... This is a lot of fun. 
Sometimes you really know you're lucky to have this job because my guest is a six-time Grammy award-winning singer and songwriter who has sold over 160 million records worldwide and is a rock and roll hall of famer. Please welcome back to the Late Show, Mr. Billy Joel. There you go. Welcome back. Nice to see you again. Well, well, it's not the, it's not MSG, but it'll have to do. <laughs> nice to see you again. Hey, Ben. Thank you. Good. Excellent. Now, you, I, uh, I, I wrote uh, to basically thank you for your new song, "Turn the Lights Back On," because I absolutely love it. You, you call this, you call this your your first new song in 30 years. That I wrote to release as a record. Yes. Okay. The last time you were on here, uh, we talked about songwriting, and you said that you didn't. You weren't that interested in, in writing new songs. What changed and why did you lie to me? <laughs> I didn't expect this to happen. Uh, this is something that just developed uh, uh, starting about ten, two years ago. Uh, I met a guy who was a fan and uh, he wanted to try to get me to think about doing new music again. I thought I was just gonna meet some kid who wanted to say hi and that was the end of that. But I sat down with him. We had a lunch. Uh, we were out in Sag Harbor. And he started talking about songwriting. He knew what he was talking about. Well, I, I, I love the song. I, I love, you know, time sticks out its tongue, laughs at the portrait of what we've become. Um, uh, did you enjoy writing a song again? Did you enjoy releasing a song again? Did you miss that? And, and can we expect more? I enjoyed the interaction with the musicians. Uh, was, this wasn't so much about the music business for me. It was more about the music, mm -hmm. just concentrating on the music. And that's what made it more enjoyable. Well, you, in, you told Rolling Stone in, in 2019 um, that you actually have a lot of music that no one's heard. I have... What's, why won't you let us hear it, Billy Joel? <laughs> are, you like, are you like J.D. Salinger? Are you the Salinger of music where you write every day but just won't let us hear it? I can kind of relate to Salinger. I, I kind of oh, really? understand, yeah, kind of hiding out. Um, why, have... because he enjoyed writing but didn't like the publishing business? The whole, you know, uh, uh, star aspect of it, the celebrity aspect of it, it can be a little off-putting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just sometimes it's too much. But Billy, and, uh, there's nothing better than being famous, right? There's some things that are better. But other pe people say your name and suddenly you have validity. Well, I... Because you know, without the audience's praise, how are we anything? <laughs> well, when I had said that I have music that no one's ever heard, it's not songs. It's, oh. it's notes. It's music. It's instrumental music, it's orchestral music, or melodic music, but I, didn't, I wasn't writing words. Um, well, you debuted Turn the Lights Back On at the Grammys, and we have a clip right here. Crowd. 
Like this crowd, like this crowd right here, the yeah. crowd there was very excited to see you at the Grammys. You've got six Grammys yourselves. Do you enjoy the award shows? I like the interaction with the other musicians. It was fun to I'm me. sensing a theme here. <laughs> now, it's like, when they make it a contest, I'm not comfortable with that. Whose song is better than whose song? Who's, who wins, who loses? Um, you know, but I, Billy, without the awards for our shows, <laughs> how will anything fill the unfillable hole in our hearts? We'll figure out a way. Okay, all right. But, uh, you know, I, I was at the Grammys a couple of years ago, and you know how they set it up? Uh, they have a celebrity in this seat, and then they fill the seats in between the other celebrity with, like, good-looking people. Yeah. They have seat yeah. fillers. So I saw Sting at the last... one of the last Grammys, and we decided, the hell with where they want to stick us in the seats. Let's sit together. <laughs> and then we decided... You know how the camera loves to show when they announce the winner of a Grammy or an award, the loser is always on camera going like this. <laughs> so we said, you know, let's just make faces and, and, and somebody else wins. <laughs> and we did that the whole show. They didn't show it because I... <laughs> what? We were having a blast. That would have been like, Super Bowl ratings. It was great. And the winner is not you. <laughs> We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Billy Joel, everybody. Stick around. Hey, everyone. It's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. With the one, the only, the Billy Joel. Well, uh, along with this good news about new music from Billy Joel that we get to hear, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of sad, a little bittersweet news out there, is that you have announced your last performance of a decade-long residency at Madison Square Garden. It's going to be July 25th. It'll be your 150th performance at MSG. <laughs> End of an era. You know. There you go. Here it is. Anybody driving by, that sign is up there half the time you go by MSG right there. This is Billy Joel. That's your MSG, you know? Uh, why'd you decide to stop? We've been there for 10 years, and I don't want to outstay my welcome. Uh, I thought, you know, better to leave before they kick you out. Okay. You know? All right. But it was, it was a, it's a great gig. It's... It's a great venue. The acoustics are great. It's our home. We've been there for a long time. Is it really home? Because it's so huge. Do you, does it feel homey to you after? I tell you what, we were playing stadiums a lot, too. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been doing a lot of stadiums. And you go back to the garden and say, oh, our club. <laughs> it feels smaller. And um, it doesn't mean we can't go back there and play again. 
It's just, just this is the last gig in this residency. Okay. Um, before you finish the residency, do you know anybody who could get me tickets to see you? Because <laughs> Evie and I really want to come see the show. Is that right? Can I call you? Talk to me. Tom, okay. <laughs> if you just put your number right in there. When you go out, how, how, how many people do you play to there? 20,000? How many people in the in At the garden? At the garden, it's 20,000 if you sell it in the round. Okay. Um, when you go out and there's 20,000 people waiting to hear you play, how quickly can you know if it's a good audience? Pretty much immediately. Yeah. Uh, if they're psyched and you walk out and you hear that noise... A little crackle? Well, it's, it's more than, more than a... Like, you're like... <laughs> you know, oh, this is going to be a good show. Yeah. But it, you know, there's when you're playing, when you're performing, there's an exchange of energy. You give something to them, they give something to you. And it goes back and forth all night. It's like a reciprocal emotional relationship, is what we're saying. <laughs> so it's the same. That's right. Yeah. And you know, it's it's. I tend to compare it to sex. If if you're having I'm sex. And there's no noise. You're not doing it right. <laughs> You've got to get... Or... <laughs> or... Or mom and dad are upstairs. There's that, too, but, that, yeah. you know, I wasn't thinking of that. <laughs> but uh, you need some feedback, you know? Mm -hmm. if, if you're getting noise back, that means, okay, this is mm -hmm. going well. Is it true that you no longer sell the tickets to the front row of your shows? I stopped doing that about 20 years ago. Okay, what was the motivation of not selling the front row? Well, I would look down f uh, from the stage and the front... They, they, the scalpers sell the tickets to the front row. Oh, I see. So people pay way too much money for the tickets. We're not worth, like, $50,000 for tickets in the front. And they're sitting there like this. Okay, entertain me, piano man. <laughs> You know, and you're like, come on, where are the fans? And you hear the fans in the back. Right. So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to sell the front rows. I'm going to send my road crew with fistfuls of tickets to the back of the room, bring the people, the real fans, up to the front. That's cool. And that makes a difference. So what's your front row like? Then the front row is they're all enthusiastic to be there. Now, the, here's the codicil. The guys in my road crew are guys. <laughs> so they're going to go back to the back of the room, and who do you think they're going to bring up to the front? <laughs> Cute girls. Right. So we look down, and we go, my, this is a good-looking audience. <laughs> and the show goes, foom, like that. So I was doing this um, when I was on the road with Elton John. Yeah. And Elton goes, why aren't you selling the front rows? Why aren't you selling the front rows? And I explained it to him, and he was, like a little light bulb went off over his head, and he's like, aha. So the next night... Elton's doing his part of the show, and you can see in front of Elton is all these cute boys. <laughs> he learned a thing or two. There you go. And his show went foom like that. So it's a win-win. Now you famously, you famously used to get into MSG by helicopter. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. I wish I could land a chopper on the top of the Ed Sullivan Theater, because <laughs> its traffic is terrible. When you, when you, do you, do you, you don't do that anymore. I stopped doing it. I got a little freaked out. Sometimes there's a little turbulence in the helicopter. Okay. So now I take the Long Island Railroad. 
Really, you just go, you just go to the bottom of MSG and take the railroad from You're there. You're right there. The train lets you off right there. The other thing is, why you don't can... you take a Greyhound on the New York, uh, on the Hudson River line? <laughs> I did that already. Oh, okay, all right. The other thing, I, uh, I took. Uh, you, you get in the car. Sometimes you, you run out of the, the Madison Square Garden. Now, for like two and a half hours, you're on stage, you're Mussolini. They're yelling your name, they're clapping, they're cheering, they're loving. Then you jump in a car and you're driving to New York traffic and you're just another schmuck, <laughs> you know, in traffic. Sure. Yeah. Wait a minute, I was just Mussolini. What happened to me? Mm-hmm. And some people can't handle that transition. Mm-hmm. Billy Joel, the Mussolini of music. <laughs> now, uh, this network, CBS, uh, it will be filming the 100th concert of your residency. It should be your 146th lifetime show at MSG. And they're going to show that 100th concert in a special that will air on April 14th. Um, it's a sold-out residency. Uh, you have sold nearly 2 million tickets. Why, why, why the film? Is this your idea, to, to film it so you have a record? This wasn't my idea. I'm, I'm, I'm not a film TV guy. I'm camera shy. Right. I, I'm not looking at that thing. Right. <laughs> You're mostly in it to be with the other musicians, I understand. I'm a, it's, it's fun to hang out with the other musicians, yes. We have to take another little break here, but don't go away. Billy Joel, when we come back. Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you. Hey, everybody. We're back with Billy Joel. Um, you know, there have been a lot of supergroups over the years. Um, have you ever thought of putting together like Billy Joel and Friends, like your super group? Yeah. And taking that around, who would be in Billy Joel's super group? I've kicked this around with a couple of people. I talked about uh, having Don Henley, sure. Sting, uh, John Mayer, you know, getting, a, getting a, like a band together just to explode and then break up. You know? <laughs> sure, sure, just fight, fight with each other. Make a film out of that. Yeah, you know, but play together till we hate each other's guts and then split. Now, one of uh, the things that this year marks in November will mark 50 years since your song Piano Man was released. You know, it's an iconic song from the Library of Congress. When you wrote that, you were this young man writing the song, did you know this was going to be a hit? Did you feel like this is the one? No, I didn't have a clue. It's in Walt's time. It's, uh, it was kind of a long song. They had to actually edit it. Um, and the, the lyrics are like limericks, really. Uh, it, it, it's a repetitive melody. Right, you can fit Nantucket in there. <laughs> there once was a girl from Nantucket. He fell asleep and handed a bucket. But it's better than drinking for free. Exactly. John at the bar is a friend of mine. He gets him a drinks for free. He's quick with the joke. It'll light up. He's smoking the sun. Believe it to be. Right. 
And the melody is repetitive. It starts. Next. And then it jumps an octave. I mean, you thank God for the la 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 da dee da. Because that kind of breaks it up. Sure. Have you listened to Tangled Up in Blue, though? It never ends, and it's a great song. So I love I, that song. Oh, so do I, too. But I think even Dylan just repeats himself. I'm saying you're better than Dylan, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. So, unless... No. Unless... Unless he is willing to come on my show. <laughs> well, uh, so, but it is it's an enormous hit. Was it a hit right away? No. It was, back in the day, disc jockeys could spin whatever they want on the radio. There were no consultants. Uh, you know, they could, it was free form. Yeah. And they played, if people called in, I want to hear that song, they'd play it. And if the disc jockey liked it, they'd play it. So it was what they call a turntable hit. It didn't really sell through. It just got played a lot on the radio. So the perception was that it was a hit record, but it really wasn't. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Maybe your career will take off someday, Billy Joel. Well, from, from here, we can go places. All right. If you need a fifth person for your supergroup, I'm always there. I know all the lyrics. Okay. Billy, lovely to have you again. Thank you so much for being here. Turn the lights back on. Right there. Is out now. The 100th show of Billy's residency at Madison Square Garden is airing as a CBS special on April 14th. Mr. Billy Joel. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.